This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. First, we had a question that was given to me um, uh, last week. Uh, we've been preaching through Mark, and we covered the the uh, Garden of Gethsemane and the agony that, that our Lord was in during that time. But the question was the, the cup that Jesus drank. Why, why did Jesus agonize? So we know that he's Christ, right? He's the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He's the second of the Trinity. But yet we find him agonizing in the Garden. We also know that he throughout the gospels has told his disciples the pharisees even pilate this is the reason why i'm here but yet he's still agonizing in the garden so the question was why 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 the agony and uh, right up at front it is because jesus was truly man he was a man right he's also truly god we like to use the term fully man, fully God. I like to say truly man, truly God, uh, just because the math doesn't add up for me. He can't be 100% man and 100% God, and he's not less of one. Or, he, he is God, and he was man, right? And what we find in the garden is those two natures not conflicting with each other, but one saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done, and the agony of the flesh. Christ was wrapped in flesh, right? He not sinful. He was perfect. He was pure. He is perfect. He is pure. But that flesh did not want to go through what it was about to go through, right? So we're gonna look. We're gonna look at that. But that is the why behind the agony. God is not agonizing over a death on a cross. Because that's the reason he was put here, was to do that. But Christ, as a man, also understands what he's about to go through. And think of it as, as yourself. If you knew in just a few hours you was about to go through the worst death of history, you would, you would agonize over that as well, right? So, so let's look, because this actually starts way back in chapter 20. Um Chapter 20, verse 20 through 28. That's where we're going to start. And then we're going to go to Matthew 26. And we'll end in Matthew 27. Uh, For preparation, I said to read through all four of the Gospels. That's to give us a a headspace of where we're at. We're going to stay in Matthew for the study. Because all four of the Gospels mention the garden. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us the details of the garden. John places us in the garden, but gives us a detail of the, the arrest, not so much the prayer. So we get a full picture of what's going on. But in uh, Matthew 20, starting in verse 20, says this, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine might sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, 
you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those of whom it has been prepared for my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus said, uh, called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord, lord over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to come, uh, become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So all the way back here in chapter 20, we have uh, the mother of James and John, that's the, the uh, sons of Zebedee, in, in typical motherly fashion is asking Jesus uh, to sit her sons beside him in his kingdom. James and John, through their mother, they're seeking preeminence, right? And we've seen that as we've went through the Gospel of Mark, that not just James and John, but every one of the disciples is continually bickering. Christ is doing the work of God. The kingdom of God is here, right? And then we have the disciples, who's the greatest? That's what they're, they're always bickering back and forth. I'm the greatest. You're the greatest. This, he's the greatest. You're the greatest. Asking Christ, who's the greatest, right? But uh, we we have this where a mother is asking Jesus on behalf of her sons, right? And I could see that even in my own mother. Well, if my son is going to be in the kingdom, I surely want him to be. I want him to be the best. You know, hey Lord, this would be really cool if my two sons could be at your right hand, and your left hand. And what Jesus says is that you don't know what you're asking. And we've seen this in Mark. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? So even before the garden, Christ knew what was ahead. He knew what was coming, right? Because this is the reason why he's here. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth was laid, he was a lamb slain for us, right? He understood what he was doing. So th to rule out some things of why, why was Christ in agony, one of the things he wasn't agonizing over was because he was surprised. He knew what was coming, right? <clears throat> so they wanted to be great. Well, who doesn't want to be great? So Jesus says, first off, you, you have no idea what you're, what you're saying because to be great, you have to lay your life down. And if to drink of my cup specifically, you're going to have to lay your life down to the ultimate fashion. But also, boys, is what he's saying here is you can't drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of. Th that's why I'm here. If there was another way, right, we, see, we have the prayer in the garden, we're, we're going to get there. If there was another way, there would be another way. But there is but one way. That's what Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. It had to come through him and by him because it was only through him and by him that any of us were going to be saved. And that's what we see in verse 28 is... That's exactly what he says. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for the many. So Christ isn't surprised in the garden. That's not why he's in agony. He also understands 
that he will give the ultimate price. He will lay his life down because he said that throughout the whole Gospels, right? No greater love has this than a man than a friend lay his life down, right? That he knows what's going to happen. So that's not why he's agonizing. That's, that's, he went through a lot of ag, agonizing over that. That's kind of sad. It would be sad knowing he's going to have to go through this. But yeah, he did. He went through it. He went through it. But we see in Isaiah 53, if y'all want to turn there, it was prophesied. It was prophesied that Jesus would be uh, would be a man of great sorrow. <clears throat> uh, Isaiah fifty three. Look at verse three, right? We all we all know Isaiah fifty three, right? But verse three tells us exactly what's about to happen, not just in the garden, but the life of our Savior. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Right. He he this wasn't just a one time thing. The garden didn't show up and he agonized for a few hours and then he died on the cross and he suffered. His whole life was sorrow. Think of in the Gospels with those little passages of Scripture that we kind of skip over sometimes. He would do like this really cool miracle. But then he would also look at the Pharisees and the scribes and it would say something like this. And he knew the hearts of those who were there. Right. The Pharisees would think, well, who can save? Right. Think of the man coming down through the through the roof. And before he even heals him, what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. Well, then the Pharisees and those standing outside that window, they think they don't speak. They think in their heart and they say, how can he forgive sin? And Jesus looks at them and says, you're thinking, how can a man forgive sin so that you can understand, pick up your bed and walk, right? He understood, he knew the hearts of men. He was acquainted with sorrow. Not only did he knew, know what people were thinking around him, but he felt what people felt. Something to think about. Jesus isn't just agonizing over his own suffering in the garden. He's agonizing over the suffering that none of us will feel. If we're saved tonight, what he agonized in the garden over, it's spared from us. He took it for us. That's something to think about. It's not just his agony. It's our agony. Something that we, we could never be prepared for. Never be prepared for. So Jesus answered with a question in Matthew 20 and 22. Are you able to drink the cup? And, and the disciples, not even fully understanding still, said, well, yeah, of course we are. We're able to drink that cup. But they weren't. They weren't ready. They don't understand what Jesus is saying, much like us today. They, they have no idea of what this cup is Jesus is talking about. They just know that the kingdom is about to start. Jesus is the Messiah. We're his selected few we're ready. We, we want to do this. When this kingdom gets kicked off, when this kingdom starts, make us great. Right? That's, what they, that's what they care about right now. They don't understand. A cup that will cause the very son of the living God to agonize in a garden. That's something to think about. He is the son of God. He's God incarnate. Right? He's the second of the Trinity. Is, let me buy this. That's what you got. Hmm? You know, let, let me... Like Jesus, 
I would say, Jesus, let me buy what you got. Yeah. So I can have it to pass on. That's what they done. They wanted it. That's what they that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. But that's the gospel, is it not? It's not anything that we can purchase. It's been purchased for us. And that's what started, if you want to put it that way, it's not chronological. It, it, at what point did Christ's ministry start? There was a starting point. His agony over the cross didn't start in the garden, but that is where, we, like we said when we preached through it, it wasn't finished in the garden, but that's where it was conquered at. He, he fully submitted. He become obedient to his father, father in the garden. Uh, a cross is to come, but the garden had to happen first. But, but you know, the thing about this, it's it just like he, he, he prayed and asked God just to ask oh, yeah. him yeah. pass, you know. But, but he had to volunteer himself. That's it. He wasn't pushed. He wasn't forced in any way. No. Nope. Volunteered and things. He did. Yeah. Yep, and that's that's where we're going. I just found it, I found it very interesting that this this um, turn of phrase, the cup, right? It it wasn't just in the garden. It's it's been throughout all of the gospels, even even the Old Testament. The cup, we'll see. It's it's significant. It means the the wrath of God. So what was Christ agonizing over. Well, he's agonizing over drinking this cup of wrath for us. It's a pretty big deal. We should look at it and not look at it lightly because for God to agonize over something, we're going to say it like that, and the Gospel of Luke says to the point where his own sweat become as great drops of blood, that's something that we can't handle. Praise God for what he done. That's it in every way. He felt like us and he mm -hmm. felt like us and everything. Yep. But surely he must have, must have agonized over it. Absolutely. And the, and the Bible tells us that. So this cup, it ag he agonized over in the garden. It's a cup that's strange to him. Think of it like that. The Son of God who has only known the Father. Him and the Father are one. Right? In perfect unity always is about to not only taste of this wrath, but he's about to bear the weight of sin. This sinless, this sinless being who knows no sin is about to be made sin for us while still being sinless. He's agonizing over that. He doesn't want to feel the weight of sin. He's never felt that before. Think about the heaviness of your own sin. That's it. Before you're saved, before you ask forgiveness and you ask God to come into your life mm -hmm. and to save you, you're just one person. Yep. That's just one person's weight. Yep. But you put the weight of all mankind, yeah. the weight of their sin. That's it. And that's what it was. It was multiplied. That's it. And that's and what that's what we're getting to. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you said that because this isn't a corporate punishment. What I mean by that is Christ isn't made to just be the representation of sin for us. He bears each individual's eternal sins on the cross. Because he's a personal God, right? And he personally saves you and I, so he personally bore our sin. It, it's, it's, it starts to really blow your mind to, to think about what Christ did for us on the cross. And I'm really glad this question come up because it's leading us into where we're going into Mark, where we're about to spend a lot of time at the cross. 
and to see what what God did for us, what it first what it took to redeem mankind, and what He did was He took on the wrath of God for us. So it, it's a cup that's strange to Him, one that's unfamiliar in taste. He's He's never tasted of this. He's never tasted of sin. He's never tasted of of the wrath of God. One that is somehow new ground. Think of it like that. God is everywhere at once. He knows everything, but he hasn't known sin. And he's about to bear the weight of that sin. This is a new, this is a new thing. It's a new sensation. And it's one that Christ does, does not want to, to have to deal with. If there is any other way, Father, let that be done. Nevertheless, not your will, but or not my will, but your will be done, right? To a being that knows everything, this is new ground. So can you drink that cup? Right? That's what he's asking these disciples in, in chapter 20. You don't know what you're talking about. Can you drink this cup? Well, the question is no. Absolutely they can't. I have my own sins to deal with. I can't, I can't be a ransom for somebody else. I can't even pay mine. Right? So we can't drink this cup the cup that Christ was drinking. But yet at the same time, he says, uh, let me get back to it. Chapter 20, verse 23, my cup you shall drink. So there is a cup that we do partake in. There is a cup that we do partake in, and that, that's the cup of suffering. Right? right? Right before we started here, we had a, 10-minute conversation over just the sick people that we know, right? That's suffering. We do partake in some of this. Persecution, being made fun of because you, you follow Christ, right? That's a cup of suffering. But the cup of wrath, we don't taste. We can't. God already did that for us. So, the disciples will drink a cup also. That's a cup of suffering. Each one of the twelve apostles taste of this cup of suffering in one way or the other. Most died a martyr's death, right? Uh, that's the ultimate suffering there. But every one of them was scourged and persecuted in prison, beat, right? Made fun of, talked down about. Even John, who spared a martyr's death, is only spared because of the miraculous work of God. He's boiled alive. They, they try to martyr him, and they can't, so they exile him. Right? That's suffering to me. That's a cup. Right? The rest of them got martyred from various ways stabbed through with swords, with spears, uh, drawn and quartered, uh, hung upside down on a cross. They, there's many, many ways that these 12 apostles died. And I'm sure John was hoping to die for his Lord because I really don't want to survive being boiled by oil. But yet he does. And then he's exiled. That's a whole different side of suffering. So now, now he's physically suffered. Now he's going to emotionally and mentally suffer to be exiled away from everybody that he knows, everybody that he loves. So we do taste of this cup of suffering in one way, in one extent, in one extreme or the other. But what Christ is saying is you, you are going to taste of this cup. Physical suffering is part of this life. It, living in this world, this fallen world, is horrible sometimes. It truly is. 
But this cup that I'm going to drink for you, John, for you, James, the cup that you cannot drink, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you so that you can turn around and endure your cup. Right? It makes sense. Jesus would suffer physically. This cup he would share with the 12 and he shares with us as well. But Jesus was not agonizing over a cup of suffering. He was to drink a cup in which no man could endure, right? Jesus' cup of suffering is different from ours because Jesus' suffering is under God's anger. That's something we need to stop and talk about. Jesus' cup is different than our cup. We suffer as children of God. We live in this life and things happen to us and God loves us, right? Which is, a, which is a blessing. It's a miraculous thing that God would love us, and because of his love, we endure suffering, right? That's what Paul talks about. Jesus is about to drink a cup of the anger of his Father. A cup of suffering, yes, but also a cup of wrath, one that we do not partake in. He had become something that his Father hated. Yes, Yes. That's what it boils into. God hates sin. He took on the sin of the whole world. That's it. And God hates that. He he become that which even himself hates. Him. He was not. not, But that's it. God hates suffering. Yes. God hates suffering. Or God hates sin. Right? I'm sure that was the biggest agony he had. It's a pretty... Suffering on the cross was bad, but that other... Yeah, and we're going to look at that, and that's it. He was alienated for three hours on the cross. We're going to look because darkness come across the land. Uh, For three hours, he's alienated from everything of his father except for the wrath and anger of his father. The two things that he's never, God has never hated himself, right? Matter of fact, the Bible says he can't deny himself. But yet for three hours, he endured the wrath of God, the anger of God. His father's anger was kindled towards the son because he becomes sin for us. He endured that for three hours on the cross. Think about that, an eternal being. It took him three full hours to endure every eternal sin ever committed ever. I'm sure he didn't feel any assurance during that time. Well, he he feels what we feel. He feels what we feel. And and it's it's a... it's a common misconception to say that he was totally forsaken on the cross, right? God, God did turn away from him in his mercy, his love, his grace, and, and all of those things. But God was ever, he was ever present before the Lord in his wrath. Same thing we see in eternity for us. You wake up in hell because you've rejected the son. You are not totally alienated, alienated from God. God is in hell with you. He's pouring out that cup of wrath that you now have to partake in because you did not follow the Son, right? That's for a different that's for a different thing. But think of it this way somebody who has lived far from God their whole life, what is their truest desire? To have nothing to do with God, right? So if hell is a total separation from God, is that truly torment? 
you get what you want in the end if you think of it like that. Well, I'm just separated from God. Fine. No, God's there, but he's not there as a merciful God. He's there as a judge. And he's not there as a God that's giving grace, but he's a judge that is pouring out judgment. And that judgment is wrath. And he's the one to determine your torment and the extent yeah. of hell. Right. Not Satan. No, no. God no, that's another that's another misconception. Judge yeah. And the jury. Matter of fact, Isaiah says that that on that day of judgment, even the ones in hell are gonna look at Satan and go, Aren't you're the one? You're the one that, that done all this. We're going to look at him and he's going to, he's there suffering just like everybody else. He's, he's not the ruler of hell. He's a, he's a prisoner of hell <laughs> just like everybody else. But just as Christ bore our sins, we don't have to, we don't have to go to hell. He's made a way for us. But if we choose to reject him, hell is, hell is our final destination. That's what the Bible says. God shows his attributes always. And I hope this year, it's already the third month and it's soon to be the fourth month. We blink our eyes. I'm hoping to do the attributes of God in, in here. He has to show his attributes always. Okay, God is everywhere at once. He's everything at once. He's not love, and then he's hatred, and then he's, he's mercy, and he's wrath. He's, he's all of these things at one time, and all these attributes have to show themselves at one time. So think of it in an eternal sense. You're in heaven. You're not going to see God's wrath, but his wrath is being poured out for all of eternity, right? We get the attributes of love, of companionship, of faithfulness, of mercy, of glory, we, all of this, all the riches of heaven, the Bible says, is, is ever before us in God. All the judgment is ever before those who are, who are in hell. So we see the same thing on the cross because he paid, he, paid he, he paid that ransom for us. So that's another thing that he's agonizing over. For three hours, he is going to pay the ransom for our sins. He knew. We couldn't do it. Absolutely can't. Right. No. I couldn't have done it. No, no could. No. Well, and that's what the Bible says. We would, we would, we would think about it for a righteous man, yeah. right? I would sit here and go, yeah, I could, I could lay my life down for a really, really good person, but would I really? No. Just think about it. If I mash my finger, I scream. <laughs> yeah. My goodness, it's love. Yeah. Look like a tea supper. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And you know, when you think about the, the sin, he took on the sin of the whole world. Mm-hmm. Now, some people accept that fact, and some don't. Mm-hmm. But the, but he he had taken it all on. All they have to do is accept. It. That's it. Otherwise, if they did, and even it those that didn't accept it. Was, it. Yeah, for even those that even those yeah. that haven't accepted that sin was put on him. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, John talks about that. I think I think it's in Second John. It's either first or second John. I can't remember. We can look it up though, but that's what he says. Christ died not just for us. He's talking to the church, not just for us, but for the whole world also. So it is every sin. And that to me, that's my belief is why God is just in sending any of us to, to hell. If we reject the Son, He is fully just because Christ has paid the ransom for us. 
and what is eternal suffering? It's just me trying to repay what Christ's done, which I can never do. It took Christ three hours to pay the ransom for the entire world. It takes me all of eternity, and I never repay just my sins, right? But we'll get, we'll get into that later on in different studies. But that is, that is true to me, and it blows your mind to, to how many people have lived to this point. Well, Christ, is, Christ has paid the sins for all those people. And whoever is coming after us, Christ has paid the sins for those people. And from Adam to whoever the last person ever born is, Christ has paid the sins for those people. And he did it in three hours. It's crazy to me. So Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath, a, a cup that uh, has accumulated the fury of God against sins of all types. It's not the big sins, the little sins. It's sins. It's the sin of the world. The, the heinous crimes, adultery, careless words, dishonoring thoughts, lies, all of them are being punished by God. Every single one of them. Some key passages, if y'all want to turn to uh, Jeremiah 25 and 15. There's some passages in the Bible that connect God, uh, connects God's wrath to this image of a cup. Okay, so this isn't just a new, a new Testament thing. This comes from the Old Testament and bleeds over into the New Testament. <clears throat> so Jeremiah 25 and 15, it says this, For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me, Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. So that's God talking to Jeremiah. We, or we understand that Jeremiah is going to the nation of Israel and he's saying, hey, Babylon's coming, right? And the way God tells him to say that is he says, take this cup of wine of my wrath, right? So take this cup of my wrath and every person that I send you to, tell them to drink it, right? So this wrath is going to be poured out on them. Destruction's coming, right? In uh, Isaiah 51 and 17, says says the same says the same thing, and then we'll also go to Revelations 14. So I wanted to show that it's it's throughout the whole Bible that this image of a cup, uh, a cup of wrath. So Isaiah 51 and 17, rouse yourself, rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling, you have drained to the dregs. So that's that's Old Testament language of saying you've drank it all, right? This this cup that God was going to pour out on them, they've drank it. And then Revelations 14 verses 9 and 10. This is of a this is of a coming judgment, right? We're in Revelations. There, there's going to be a cup of wrath that's poured out to every nation in in God's judgment during the last days. Revelations 14, 9 and 10. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead and on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength. That's important. Mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So that right there 
go, let's go back to our conversation we just had. Is God is God present in hell? Well, it just said that they're going to drink the full strength of his cup of anger, torment with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So he's there. It's not a total separation, which makes it far more worse because that's ultimately what I want to do. If I'm, if I'm rejecting the Son here, I, I just want to not be around God for the rest of eternity. That'd be great. But God is there ever before me in his wrath. I don't want to go. <laughs> I well, don't want to go. There will be a reminder of that. I'll never be in heaven. Well, absolutely. No, you I'll see that. Yeah, you see that in the uh, rich man and Lazarus, the story of rich man and Lazarus. There's a gulf fixed. No one can come. No one can go. So that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. So Jesus confirms this connection in Gethsemane when he prays, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So let's let's turn to Matthew 26, and we'll we'll read what uh. We'll read our main passage here. Starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said uh, to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. This is the agony of our Lord. How big of a deal was this for Jesus? Well, he's grieved to the point of death. Okay? I haven't been to that point yet. Been close, but I've always continued on. Some of us may have been closer to that point to where you just want to you just want to die. Christ was to that point. He's grieved to the point of death. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. So you're seeing a difference in the prayer, right? It's a, it's a gradual step towards submission, right? First, he says, if it's possible, let it happen. Now he's praying if it isn't possible, your will is going to be done one way or the other. He went away the second time and he prayed, your will be done. Again, verse 43, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. So he's saying that second prayer again. <clears throat> then he comes back, he finds them sleeping. The story continues, but you see a gradual step from grieving to the point of death to acceptance and submission to the Father's will. That is the flesh coming under submission. And there's so much there about how we even pray 
to, to submitting to the will uh, of God. Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. Uh, even going back to the disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray, right? That's the same. It's actually the same prayer. My, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Your will be done. We see that. We see that here. That's the way I gave up with my arthritis. I said, Lord, <laughs> if you're not going to heal it, show me how to live with it. That's it. I mean, that. That's it. What could I do? That's it. He healed me. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is the cup that Jesus drinks on the cross, and we see that in uh, the very next chapter, chapter 27, verses 45 through 50. This is during during the crucifixion. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. So that's three hours, right? From noon to three. From the sixth hour, uh, darkness fell upon the land to the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there uh, heard it, began saying, The man is crying out for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and, taking a sponge, filled it with sour wine <clears throat> and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That's all she wrote. Luke adds, he says, It is finished. And he yielded up the ghost. That that's that's it. What was finished? Well, he has drank the cup. It's been three hours. It's been three hours, and I don't want to get too far into it because we are going to preach through this in Mark. It's coming up. But uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, and we're actually going to stop in Mark and and work through Psalm 22 because uh, that's it's a big part of it as well. Christ, even on the cross, in the very last moments of his life here, he's still preaching from the cross. That's in Psalm 22. It's, it, it's, it's mind-blowing to see the compassion of our Lord, even in the midst of great suffering. He can't hardly breathe anymore. He, he's, he's having to uh, in, endure the cross, and he can get out the first line of Psalm 22. Everybody around that cross, when he said what he said, would have thought, oh, Psalm 22, and everything that Psalm 22 says. So in that one sentence, he preaches a message. It's, it's amazing to me, it really is, that our Lord, just like he is in the garden, he, he's grieved to the point of death, but yet he still says, watch and pray, right? Because your hour of temptation is coming and you're going to fail. You're going to fail if you don't watch and pray. And then he went back and prayed again. And he's always, he is always our Lord, always. Even in the midst of his suffering, he is still looking forward to us. That's, that's the Christ that we serve. There at Golgotha, our, our Savior drained God's cup of, of his anger down to the dregs, if we want to continue with the Old Testament in other words, he didn't leave one single drop in the cup. He drank every single drop of it. That's what he agonized over was this cup. God poured out his wrath. It's full strength. It's not diluted. He did not pull back some of his anger just because it's his son. He poured out every bit of it 
Christ paid in full the price of sin for us. That's another thing that we're going to look at too. The man Christ should have never made it to the cross. What he endured in just his beatings and scourgings and the loss of blood should have killed him. He should have never endured the cross. He should have never made it to the cross. But yet, even in his loss of blood and in his physical condition, God kept him alive so that he can endure everything that he endured. And think about if you've ever had a broke leg or if you've been in a car wreck or an explosion or, or any of that, the first thing that happens is you go numb, right? Your adrenaline kicks up. Your fight or flight happens, you go numb, and you could have a broke arm, but you may not even know it right away. That didn't happen with Christ. He was not spared anything. He felt every single thing for every second until he gave up the ghost. It, it, it really is, uh, it ought to bring you to tears to understand what Christ went through on the cross. Anybody who's been saved, it was that realization that brought you to that point. <laughs> that Jesus endured what was meant for me, right? I'm free. He, he had to die, but I'm, I'm free. Be my Lord. Please, please be my Lord, right? 2 Corinthians uh, 5 and 21 says this. Paul summarizes uh, the meaning of, of what happened at the cross. And it really is eloquent, and it really does describe all of what Christ did for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the great exchange is that he become our sin so that we could become his righteousness. We don't deserve that. Christ surely did not deserve to hold one sin, let alone the sins of the many, right? I don't deserve to hold one minute of his righteousness, but yet I have an eternity of it. It's what our Lord did for us. That's why for us who are Christians can look at this world and go, why, in the, why do y'all not come to Christ, like when you're witnessing to somebody or we're talking to our family members or friends or people on the street or whatever, and you tell them Christ died for you, come, come to Christ, and they go, eh, you know, I'll think about it. It blows our mind. Like, how could you not? Do you not understand what he's done for you? But that's, that's literally the thing is that the word says that they're blinded to this. They don't, really understand. They don't understand. They understand some, but they don't yet understand until the Holy Spirit himself. That's it. It has to be a work. Yeah. It has to be a work. And when when they come, the Bible says that the moment you come to that realization of who Christ is, which is encompassing everything that we've talked about and more, you go to him. Because I want the best for my life, right? I'm selfish. As a, as a sinful person, I want the best for me. Well, guess what? As a Christian, we're still selfish in that. It, there is no better thing for me than Christ. So, of course, I go to it. That's it. That's it. That's it. We continue to pray, right? So, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us so that he could extend the cup of God's fellowship to us, right? We endure suffering as a good soldier. We do drink a cup of suffering, 
but it's that cup of fellowship. With, we're made in right standing with, with the Almighty God. That's the cup that we drink because it's the cup that Christ drank. He agonized over for us. Uh, <clears throat> this cup might include suffering, but it never includes wrath. That, that's the thing to remember. We talked about last week about those who are in a backslidden state or those who are becoming cold, that God chastens those that he loves, that, that trials come and tribulations happen and, and they all point us back towards Christ. That's suffering. That's horribleness. We should never have to go through that, but we're prideful and we do go through that. But that's not God's wrath. That we, we don't know what that tastes like. And we never will because Christ drank the cup for us. But on the flip side of that, even those who have rejected Christ, they don't know what that tastes like yet either, but they will. That's their eternity is that they drink this cup for all of eternity, not even for the sins of the people next to them, just for their sins. And they can never fully drink the cup. That's the great downfall with like with, with like Catholicism. Catholicism says you can live your life, and if you weren't wasn't the best, then you go to this place, this holding place, this place of purgatory where you can you can wait it out, right? You can just drink the cup, and eventually, with enough money of the people that are left behind and everything, you can pay your way out. You can drink this cup, and you'll enter into uh, enter into Christ. That's what the- Catholic. Catholic. Well, that's it. It's Catholic. That's it. But you can't you can't fully drink the cup. You never can fully drink the cup. It's impossible. We, we have to accept what he did for us, and, and we can go back to what you said, or we read, where the lamb is there mm-hmm. in hell. Yeah. Well, he's given, those that didn't accept those sins, his forgiveness, those sins, those sins are still upon him. That's it. And, and he, he, he took them, but they're getting them back. Well, that's it. He he is back. he is paid for them. Yeah, but but, but, but that wasn't accepted, so that's it. They're still mine. There's a there's a transaction there's a transaction that was made, and there's a transaction that's made again. It's gonna be made. <laughs> and that bill that was paid in full is is given back to you. That's it. Right. And where that wrath of God is temporary, it's temporary upon him. It will be mm-hmm. eternal. Well, that's it. It's given back to him. So let's let's wrap this up. We're doing good. Jesus as the divine. Okay, so this is this is where we answer the question. All of that to answer about this, which we said at the beginning. Jesus has two natures. He's truly God. He is divine, and he's truly man. He, he was wrapped in flesh, right? Uh, I think it was Gina Kay that said, he, uh, made reference to the scripture that he, he felt like as we did. He, he was tempted in all like ways. He, he was a man, right? So Jesus as a divine was in complete agreement. So he's not agonizing because he's trying to bend his will to the will of the Father, right? They're, they're in union always since before eternity past to, to today to the future. He, he's in complete submission. Jesus is truly God. He's, com- he's in complete obedience to the will of his Father. Jesus and the Father always has been and forever will be one. They've always been in union. Always have. 
Jesus as a man had to agonize. It is Jesus in his in his man nature who is agonizing over what he has to now taste. And that's what I'm talking about. Jesus as God has never known sin. Jesus as a man up to this point has never known sin. He lived a perfect life. He was sinless. That's the only way he could have done it. And that's it. And the Bible says that. But that is the agony of the garden is that Jesus as a man has to endure sin. He has to feel that weight, something that he has never felt before. And he doesn't he doesn't want to do that. Think think what more torturous event for a perfect being than to be made sin. He's to the point of death. To the point to where he's in complete union with the Father and he's still praying, Father, if there's another way, <laughs> you know, I know we made this plan back before we even created creation, but hey, if there's another way, it'd be really cool if we could do that way. Well, he was like us. In I every way. Like, Please let me have another way. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Let me That's it. <laughs> so Jesus as a man, he had to agonize. He, he had never known sin. He never tasted of God's anger. He's only known God's love. God had always been his father, and he had always been God's son. That same son that we hear not once but twice in whom he's well pleased with, right? Jesus was to experience something completely foreign to him. He, he had never he never known sin. That's what the Bible says, but yet he's made He's made to be sin. He was to become our sin while remaining completely sinless. He was to bear a weight that he had never known. He had never known the weight of sin. He did that day. Just as we've never, up until salvation, we had never known the weight of sin because we that's what we've always known. It was just life. And then salvation come in this this peace and and this yoke that's placed upon us that the world says, I can't believe the Bible would say they place a yoke on you, but it's so, the burden of salvation is light. It's, It's good. It's peaceful. And that weight of sin that was ripped from us, it's how in the world, I would never turn and go back to that because now I know what it's like to live, even as a sinful person still that commits sin. It's not the weight of sin that I had. The bondage of sin has been lifted, right? That's what the Bible says. And in glory, when we cross over, we will know what it's like to be sinless. We don't know that yet. We don't. It's the exact opposite for Christ. He's only known sinlessness. Now he's about to be made sin for us. That's the agony. That's the agony there. So think about it. A God that knows everything that created everything that is perfect in every way had to experience a new sensation. He had to experience something that he'd never experienced before. One that we will never know of. We won't know what Christ did for us on the cross until we get to glory. When the Bible says in Revelations, we'll know everything as they are known, we're going to know in full what Christ did for us. Because I'm going to then know that new sensation. I don't know that yet on this side. I don't know what sinlessness is. So until I know what sinlessness is, I can't fully understand what Christ went through. It's enough to get me sal- to get me salvation and my Lord. 
the the weightlessness that I have now is immensely better than it was. But it's still not what Christ went through. We'll never know of this. We are now vessels not meant for wrath. That's what the Bible says. We're not meant for this cup that Christ drank. And the reason we're not meant for this is because Christ drank it for us. He bore this for us. So let's pray. Lord, as we go through this special passage of, of your word that talks about what you did for us, even before the cross, Lord, we thank you first for what you've done. Help us, oh God, to hide this in our heart, to help it to grow, to find a deeper, a deeper love for you, Lord. Lord, as we go our separate ways, Lord, I ask that you, again, Lord, we lift up those of our congregation and our community who are sick, who, who are dealing with, with suffering, Lord. We, we know that this is a part of life, but we also know that your word says that we can go before you as Christians, as, as children of you, and ask, ask, Lord, for your help. Lord, we ask that you go before us and that you help each and every one of our family, oh God. And we ask this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you.